Well, welcome to the Solar Insights Podcast. My name is Eric Saar. I've got Dave King of Bright Side of the Sun with me today. But first, I wanted to thank everybody for watching my last episode with uh, my cousin Matt Norlander of CBS. Um, it's been by far my highest um, listened to a podcast episode. It's coming up on 800 people right now, which I really thank you all for listening. If you thought that was a good podcast, I would go suggest you go listen to my other one since I've been podcasting since October, and I really appreciate you guys checking it out. How are you doing, Dave? Oh, pretty good. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Got to get you on here. You're the, the preeminent guy here at Bright Side of the Sun. You're the managing editor and able to uh, shed some light into this from a non-national standpoint. We can get into the suns really deeply and get some your thoughts on players and things like that. Why don't we start out with, I was, I was, I was looking this up earlier, um, can you guess which player and how many, um, in term, we obviously know that Booker had the most points for the Suns this season, that was pretty obvious, with 70, and we'll talk about that probably, but uh, do you know how, who had the record for assists or rebounds this today, this year? Oh, ah, good question, let's okay, get, let's okay get so... Good, let's get a guess. Well, let's see. Uh, Tyson, as far as rebounds, Tyson Chandler played just 60 games. Um, in, in one game? Where I'm trying, like oh, in a game. single game. Oh, that'd be Tyson Chandler then. And how, do you know how many he had? Uh, he had over 20 a couple of times. Yep, he had uh, 23 and 21 and 20. 19, a couple 18, several 18s, yeah. Right. And then what about assists? The assist one is a little bit interesting. Uh, yeah, that is, uh, let's see, I know Tyler Ulis had 13 at one point, I know Eric Bledsoe, I believe, had a 14 assist game, Jared Dudley had a 10 assist game, yeah. uh, so I guess, uh, I'm sort of huh? showing up here on basketball reference, because I remember the Tyler Ulis big game, but the most I'm seeing here is, uh, Eric Bledsoe with a couple 13 point, 13 assist games, but oh, right, we do remember the Tyler Ulis one. Yeah, okay. I thought there was a 14 assist. For, oh, that's right. 41 and 13, didn't he? Isn't that what he did Probably for Eric Bledsoe? Yeah, yeah Bledsoe so. yeah, had 40 and 13 and 6 in that game on uh, against Toronto in uh, January. So, yeah, that was kind of interesting to see. Obviously, I mean, don't want to go into, like, blocks and steals and whatever. But um, So what was your um, favorite part of this uh, season? Uh, my favorite part of the season was getting to see the young guys play because the whole season was built around the young guys playing. Yeah. The uh, the first half of the season was a kind of an um, an ill-fated attempt by a rookie coach, I think, to win more games than people predicted, and so he thought we the Suns could surprise uh, some of the you know some of the rest of the league and the fans and all that. So I think uh, Earl Watson overplayed the veterans in the fall. Plus, he has a lot of respect for veterans, and I think he just felt like that was the right thing to do. Uh, so it was nice after the trade deadline to see all the younger guys play. That was my favorite. Definitely. I think it was I, – I agree, too. I think my favorite part was Alan Williams, and we'll get to him. Alan, well, Alan Williams, just he's, he's hilarious. It's, apparently, he was um, – people have knew who he was before he came on the Suns. Uh, Sam Bassini, other people – had heard of him before and had talked about him. Um, but it's, I think he, he was probably my favorite part. Also really seeing Jared Dudley and um, Barbosa back on the Suns back in those heyday that yeah. days, that was pretty great. Yeah, absolutely. No, it was really nice to see those guys back. I think Jared Dudley uh, plays a really good game. Uh, I love what he brings to the table. 
in a game. Like I said, he had the one ten assist game, setting up Devin Booker on his seventy point night. Uh, he he rebounds sometimes. Uh, <laughs> he he does good positional defending. He plays good team defense, and so I think overall he is a real positive in any game that he gets into, even though he doesn't fill up the box score. But there just wasn't room for him this year. There wasn't room in the uh, rotation once they once they uh, drafted Marquise Chris and Dragon Bender. And so it just turned out Bender ended up not playing hardly at all, mm-hmm. partially because of his injury and partially because he was playing behind Jared Dudley and Marquise Chris and had to be pushed to the three position where he was already behind uh, T.J. Warren and P.J. Tucker. So it, it just was a mismatched roster that didn't feature Dragon Bender enough or Dragon Bender enough this year. And I think think that, uh, um, you know, hopefully next year they'll have a better position roster on that. But going back to uh, to your question, um, wait a minute, now I'm lost. Are we talking about Alan Williams? <laughs> we, we were. I was just saying, but we're talking about our favorite parts of the season and the young guys playing. But Alan Williams. Yeah, talking about Jared Dudley and Leandro Barbosa. That was the next one I wanted yes. to uh, Yeah, Leandro, he was a really nice addition in the backcourt. He is not. He wasn't exactly the best perfect addition for this team, though. Uh, he's a nice guy. He loves the Suns and does whatever you ask for him and never complains, which is great for a long-term veteran. But as far as um, you know, what he brings to the locker room, he's just a nice guy. He's not really a leader in the locker room. He's good. He's a good uh, veteran presence, uh, but he's not really vocal. And on the court, he didn't really bring a lot of skills that other guys hadn't already brought. So. I think that one was a not as easy a fit. Jared Dudley had a tough fit, uh, but it was supposed to work. Uh, but it, it didn't quite work either. But I think uh, he was a really good addition anyway for the for the season. Yeah, I think Jared Dudley is just like the the best vet presence you can have on a team like this in terms of being vocal, getting on the guys, getting them to eat right, do everything they need to, get them prepared mentally, help when he can, still has respect in that sense, but doesn't have to. There's no ego involved there. He can he can take a step back when he needs to. Did it in Milwaukee. Did it here. He's like, make sure Mar- Chris, Marquise Chris starts and get him there. I mean, what Chris played almost every single game. I think he started most of them. Yeah, he played 75 out of the 82. Yeah, uh, it was it was an interesting thing. Like uh, Errol Watson put him in the starting lineup as a starter going forward after the first seven games. Uh, but Marquise Chris, either through foul trouble or just through rotations. And in my mind, it was more rotations than foul trouble that uh, Marquise Chris only averaged about uh, 17 minutes a game, I think, in early in the season and then up to 22-23 toward the end. Some of that was foul trouble, but a lot of it was he just wasn't ready to play NBA basketball on a 30-plus minute basis because he just didn't uh, make the right rotations. He didn't recognize where he was on the court, who he was defending all the time if there were switches. He knew how to start out of possession. Uh, on defensively, but it was really hard to keep him in all, all 24 seconds after all the switches. So it was really, uh, it was really an interesting learning experience for Marquise Chris. I think he's going to be a great, really has a chance to be a great NBA player. I think he's going to be a good one. And the key is him putting everything together. Yeah. What do you think is his ceiling or his comps for, uh, going forward? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I do think that he's got kind of, well, okay. So I think his ceiling, could be uh, somewhere around a 20 and, and 8 guy. And so maybe you're talking about as far as uh, statistics, maybe somewhere around the Amari Stoudemire range. Uh, he's not going to quite have the same Amari Stoudemire game. Mm-hmm. Chris will make more of his points from three-point land and less of his points 
uh, diving to the basket on the roll. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't have that natural feel. I mean, you can just tell. Alan Williams has the natural feel for finishing on the roll uh, with a pocket pass. And if Marquise Chris had that feel, he would have been taking those passes instead of Alan Williams. Yeah. But he doesn't have the feel, and not many guys do. Uh, Martin Gortat had that feel. Yes, he for did. <laughs> pocket pass and he was one of the best and still is one of the best in the league uh he just wasn't the strongest tough finisher you know in, in the wake of Amari Stoudemire he didn't finish as tough oh, but he certainly yeah Gortat. oh my gosh he'd drive me crazy with his like layups that would like barely go you're like dude you're seven feet tall with the Polish hammer just thinking put it in the hoop yeah but he even stopped calling himself the Polish hammer he said <laughs> no I'm the Polish machine uh, because he didn't he doesn't absorb contact and finish mm-hmm. and he knew that. and so he would do the avoid the guy strategy of doing the acrobatic left-handed double pump layup he'd still finish he still had one of the highest finishing rates in the game uh, especially with steve nash feeding him the ball but he still is today one of the best pick and roll finishers um you know getting the getting the passes from john wall yeah. so yeah he's a really good player uh and if marquise chris had that feel uh, he'd be already receiving those passes. So I think he's going to be more finished on cuts to the basket and making threes and, and developing a mid-range game of his own and maybe even a post-up game of his own. Well, I don't I don't know about that post-up or mid-range game. Like, I don't see him taking jumpers. In the well, he's mid-range. not, but he's only but he's only 19 years old. That's and so true. you can develop a post-up game. Uh, remember, uh, I don't know how much you got to watch Giannis, and I certainly didn't watch oh, yeah. him as I should have. But when he was a first- or second-year guy, he had zero. Uh, sense of what to do with the ball offensively, and now he knows what to do with it. He's just he, and Chris just has to figure it out. Is Duncan from Duncan from wherever he wants to, as far <laughs> out as he wants to? Although I right. think Giannis is definitely will be obviously a better player than Marquise Chris will ever be. I think. Oh, absolutely! No, okay. Giannis is probably a top five or ten guy in the league right now, and well, five Marquise, is tough, but maybe top fifteen, but. Yeah, it depends on on if you're if you're somebody who rates people more on potential and their impact over the next few years, including this year, or if you're just rating them based on what they've done and where they are right now. I still I think you make a, definitely a top ten case for a Giannis. Okay. Um, what about um, uh, let's see, let's talk about Ulith for a little bit here. Um, I th- well, let's actually ask the first question: Is who did th- who on the Sun surprised you the most this year? Who surprised me the most? Well, I don't think Tyler Eulis surprised me at all, speaking of the guy you just mentioned. I don't think Alan Williams surprised me at all. We saw him get a couple of, at least one or two double-doubles last spring when he got a chance to play. Uh, let's see, who surprised me the most? Well, you know what? I, I guess I would say, um, if I'm looking at the roster really quickly, I guess I would say, man, that's a good question. I want to say Marquise Chris. I mean, Derek Jones is a little bit too easy because anything he did was a surprise. Yeah, Nobody knew I mean, he was the Dealey guy who could only dunk, and he had no. What he had three dunks the day before the dunk contest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but I, I don't want to count that as a surprise. We can't go from zero to something, and to me anyway, and call that the surprise of the season. Yeah, a lot of the other guys played the way we expected them to. I think parts of Devin Booker's game were the surprise of the season. Uh, Before, yeah, because we didn't think he was going to make these kind of leaps. But we'll get to Booker later. <laughs> yeah, um, so there are parts, and I can go further into what I, what I mean by uh, the parts of his game that were a surprise over, over other parts. But 
I think overall, I think you have to give it to Marquise Chris. He held his own. He was a bad player in the beginning of the year, and he was an okay player at the end of the year. But he was going against starters the whole time. And there were a lot of games where he was solid and a lot of games where uh, he was pretty good. Uh, and for a 19-year-old in his first season going against starters, I think that's pretty good. It's pretty good. What I about you? Lots of, I lots of flaw, flaws in his game, and we can – I mean, just I don't see some of the growth that like I don't know. Maybe it's well. I mean, well for him, we'll see where he goes. I'm I'm well, a little wary of him still. But uh, my surprise player was Alan Alan Williams. I guess I must have missed the boat when I thought he was going to be having floaters all the time and able to watching him. I love watching him rebound because he's six eight. Like he's like what is he? He's a quarter inch or a half an inch taller than me. Like maybe. And he's out rebounding three people. I saw one one game I was watching, and, and he had there's three people around him. He barely jumped it, and he still was able to get it and still put it up before they could get it. But he's not like fast or necessarily that athletic. He just knows how to rebound. So that plus the floater game from a big guy is just kind of crazy. It's amazing to watch, and his demeanor out on the court, watching, celebrating is just amazing. I love I love his kind of spirit or whatever he brings to his attitude he brings to the game. If you had a category for most fun player, that would be him. Oh yeah. But I'm not, I wasn't. The, I, I agree with you that I was, uh, with your assessment that we we're surprised with his floater, and I like how he's got the back leg kick too. Uh, <laughs> he does his floater. I think that was great. But he was able to finish on the pick and roll and rebound like crazy in the skins minutes he got got last year and during summer league. So the, those parts didn't surprise me as much. Okay. Yeah, I caught summer league, but I didn't think it was. I, he still surprised me a little bit, but um, what about Tyler Lewis? Let's talk about him because I thought you may some people apparently some people were surprised by him. I did not was not surprised by Ulis doing what he does. He was a low turnover guy in college, I believe. He knows how to be a point guard. Although I, the only flaw with him is that he's not taller. Like if like people said, he would have been top five that draft if he was three inches taller. And I'm like, at one point he got blocked or something. I'm like, dude, you just need to be taller or stronger, and you can get your shot off there. <laughs> Well, I tell you what, um, if he can, if he can figure out some hedge, the proper hesitation moves where he can stop and start as he's driving to the basket, he's already got some side to side going. He'll figure out how to get a shot off. If Isaiah Thomas can get a shot off against the big guys just by extending his arms in the proper direction away from the, the big guy's reach, uh, Ulyss won't get so many shots blocked. He just needs to get uh, more experience. His big problem, I think, is going to be defense, and it's not getting posted up because you don't mm. see point guards posting up other guys very often. Where his problem is is he's not able to fight through picks. He's just too yeah. small and light. And so unless he figures out how to either go between the legs of the guy throwing the pick um, or uh, is better able to slither his body around the pick to avoid it, he's going to have a really hard time. Uh, in the pick, uh, being picked off on the perimeter away from his man, and then being unable to recover because he doesn't have the length to defend the uh, jump shot. Yeah, I think that's where he's going to suffer the most in the pros and, and not in the post. Uh, yeah, because I mean, the only people who are going to post him up are what Kyle Lowry, Chris Paul, and whoever. And that takes him right, and that takes him totally out of the offense they want to run anyway. Yeah. What doesn't take him out of the offense is just picking him off with a big man, and that's everybody does that. But your point point is well made because this um, team, the core that they're building, 
right now seems like a pretty bad defensive core. If you if if Ulis can't get through stuff, Devin Booker doesn't, or maybe he doesn't right now. Maybe if he engages more, gets better, stronger, whatever, he can fight through it and be a okay defender. Which with his offensive prowess, he only needs to be a neutral defender to be a great player. Um, but then with with Warren, who I just I cannot watch him play defense. His positioning is so bad. <laughs> My brother can play better defense than him, like right now. <laughs> um, it's, I mean, but what is it? Warren has his other skills, and we don't we don't fault him for that. But it just he's got to get better defensively. And then Chris, just with his awareness, and um, well, he and Bender really need to just get in the weight room. I think. I mean, like I've been saying, I said, don't worry about Bender. Give him two years to just really bulk up, and then he'll be a decent, good stretch five, and he'll be it'll be good. I agree. I think Bender's going to have a a good career. I was hoping for him to come in and have kind of a Andre Kirilenko type of presence in a game. Uh, remember Kirilenko with the Jazz used to be a five by five guy. Yep. On any given night, he could get five of points, rebounds, assists, steals, and uh, uh, blocks. And he was my contact Bender- about four months ago for Bender. And someone mentioned I was talking on a podcast with somebody about that. It was, it's decent. I like that. I was. We'll see what he. We'll see what he can do. I was mentioning somewhere that I think he should be a five and not a three. Because someone was Watson saying he was mm-hmm. going to be a three at some point. I don't think he's best well, as a three. Yeah, I'm not sure Earl Watson, and, and I'm sure he would dispute this, but I'm not sure Earl Watson is Dragon Bender's biggest fan. Well, uh, yeah. They don't play the same kind of game. It's there's just something about it that uh, I don't think Watson loves as much as watching Marquise Chris play. Mm-hmm. So take that for take that with a grain of salt. But I do see what he meant when with with Dragon Bender weighing only about hundred pounds right now. <laughs> I mean it's the dude is so skinny, but he's so quick and while he's not the fastest lateral mover in the world, mm-hmm. he he makes up for it with his smooth move and the, the smooth way he can he can shift his hips on defense and uh, move his arms and, and use his arms to make up any any ground that he might have lost to a smaller three guy. So I can totally see why they want Dragon Bender to be a good defender. And even Jared Dudley at the end of the year said Bender can easily defend the three and the four. Uh, someday Bender would be, I agree with you, a great stretch five. Or just a multi-talented five where you see the Bucks playing Giannis at five, right? Uh, basically, in a lot of lineups, he'll be the tallest guy out there. And you say they're going small, but <laughs> the dude is already seven feet tall. Uh, and I think Bender will be the same kind of thing. The Suns could effectively have a small ball lineup with Bender, Chris, Bender and Chris killing people from the from deep and defending the rim. Uh, with the Warren qu- cutting, with Warren cutting in the middle, because he's like I think he's like the second coming of Wade in terms of off-ball cutting. It's kind of crazy. How no, that part is, is great. Yeah, that part's great. Um, yeah, I think the Suns do need to bring in some more defenders into this mix. But you know, Dragon Bender could be one of the better defenders at any front court position in the league someday. That's for sure. You know who needs to put on some weight? Derek Jones Jr. Yeah, he's Corey Brewer, man. <laughs> Less than that, Corey Brewer is like a man. Finally, like he actually has some weight on him. Like, dude, did you like, dude, did you eat your Wheaties? Like, what is up with this? And it's crazy. I mean, here's the question to bounce off of that: Do you think Derek Jones Jr. is part of the Suns' core moving forward, or is he like one of those players that comes in, he might disappoint, he can't get? I mean, he needs to get a jumper, otherwise, he's not going to st- stick. 
He needs to get a jumper. He's not going to stick. I actually do see a lot of Corey Brewer, the role player future for Derek Jones. If, if he really figures out how to play effective defense and not just spirited defense. Yeah. So he's got the feet. He's got the length. Uh, he can, uh, as you saw, Watson having him guard uh, point guards. And he really frustrated Russell Westbrook one game. Now, of course, that was the first time Russell Westbrook had seen Derek Jones Jr. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm sure next time Westbrook could do better. And he did do a little bit better even just the, sec- the second time the Suns ran through Oklahoma City. Yeah. Um, even though the Suns won that game, Russell Westbrook did not get quite as frustrated in that game as he did the first time against Derek Jones. Yeah, I mean, but, Jones has like three inches on him, but Westbrook somehow still has like, what, 25, 50 pounds on him? <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? Um, so I do I do see the utility man, Corey Brewer type, maybe an Iman Shumpert type of guy where he's only in there for defense and spacing as long as Jones can figure out how to make a jumper. He's got to be able to make at least a three-pointer more at least as effectively as P.J. Tucker. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. And he needs to come to my – I'm starting a business about that. He needs to come to me and visit me, and we're going to fix that shit for him. <laughs> but um, so what? let's um, – let's, go off course to the veterans a little bit. The big elephant in the room is what is going to happen with Tyson Chandler and Brandon Knight and Eric Bledsoe? What are your thoughts? Hmm. Well, I would have thought at least one of those were gone months ago. So what do we know, right? I mean, <laughs> I think I think Brandon Knight, the only way he's leaving is in a big trade where he is a throw-in. He's not going to get any value by himself. We all know this. Okay. Um, but if the Suns make some kind of larger trade and they either um, send out a first round pick to get somebody to absorb night or do something where they're taking back just as bad of money. It just might not be as uh, quite as uh, bad a fit on the roster. I don't know, but the Suns are going to have to do something where they're getting no value back, but they're moving him off the roster. I think. Yeah. I mean like Philly to Philly for like Covington or somebody like, or there's no way for, Philly would take. There's no way Philly would give up Covington for for him. That's that's how low Brandon I's value is. So they have to do something like the Tucker trade, where it's like for a second round pick. Do you think? Yeah, or um, you know, uh, you could maybe get some value back, but then you have to get just as much offsetting bad value to make it a net zero. Yeah. So yeah. if you really want a Covington, uh, and the Sixers don't have any of these, but you'd have to take back a bad contract too. Yeah. And with that, Colangelo's running, they don't really have any bad contracts necessarily here. They just have young players. Maybe the Nets would want him. Who knows? Um, yeah. And then what about do you, do you want Tyson Chandler gone? Some people are of the mind of trade him. Um, and then, I don't know, you, you see the Suns' Twitter stuff. I've said this on the podcast a few times. I wrote it down, and I think it's funny, but no one else seems to think it's as funny as I do. But nowhere in the CBA does it say that your core has to be within three years of each other age-wise. Otherwise, you're not allowed <laughs> to win the championship. And so, I mean, my best example is 2014 Spurs when Kawhi is 22, the rest of the big three is 33, and they win. Like, that's not necessarily how you rebuild. I mean, so that's, I mean, is Tyson Chandler need to be there? Not necessarily. Does it um, there? Yeah, that's a, good, that's a good question. I think Tyson Chandler is, as far as uh, a guy on this team, He's really good at bringing a professional demeanor, expecting guys to deliver. He's he's more outspoken than Leandro Barbosa, but maybe not quite as much as Jared Dudley. Uh, but he he does know how to speak out and get guys going. Um, he's, 
He's got a very good contract for a backup center in the NBA these days. If you look at all the contracts that went out last year Mozgov. and the one this year, he's got yeah, Mozgov is an example. Um, it, I think Chandler has a really good contract to keep around. So I am not against keeping Tyson Chandler around. I do still want the Suns to find a, um, a big man in the future that could take that spot. And if that's Dragon Bender, then it's a totally different offense, totally different game, and you might have a hard time keeping Chandler in the rotation. Well, here's the question is because the Suns, as it stands, have no starting, no starting caliber center. They have four backup centers, but they have no starting caliber center. If you can count Dragon as one, you got Len, who we're, I mean, Len's an interesting, I've, I've talked about him on the podcast a couple times, but he, he's got something. I saw some flashes of some aggressiveness and some, like, I don't know, agility this year, but he's also inconsistent. Um, Alan Williams is good, but I think, I don't know if you agree, but I don't think he has what it takes to be a starter right now. I don't think he's tough. Alan Williams? Yeah. Yeah, no, he can't be a starter. He is already 24, so. Mm-hmm. So there's that, and then then this Chandler, like we talked about, and then this Bender. But Bender's the only unknown, the one that we don't know. Can we? We I think that we know that the other three can't be anymore, like Chandler was, um, the starting center. So they need to go find it. Um, so I agree with you that Chandler doesn't need to be moved. Brandon Knight needs to be moved. Don't know if he can. What about Bledsoe? Hmm. Uh, yeah, good question. So Eric Bledsoe, if the Suns, I think this. This basic line of thinking is is the best line of thinking, which is if the Suns take a point guard in the draft, then you trade Bledsoe and find find whatever value you can. He's probably got the most value on the roster, although it won't be as good a value as the Suns would want it to be because of his knee injury history. He's yes. he's healthy now, but he's got the history, and uh, he didn't get a year a chance to play all eighty two games this year. But uh, I think the Suns will use him for some kind of value. The problem is that the Suns have not shown an ability to make a trade when they want to. It took him forever to do a Marquise Morris trade, and it's still taking him forever to do a Brandon Knight trade. So I, I would not expect Bledsoe to be gone. But I think if you do draft a point guard, you should have him gone, and he should be um, to a team that can give the Suns a little bit of value back uh, right now to, to add to the roster. So are you of the mind of going for the blockbuster trade, going for that star, going for that maybe uh, brother Paul George? I'd be, actually, I'd be actually okay with if the Suns draft um, a point guard and they're ready to trade Bledsoe, I would trade Bledsoe for, and I can't even pick a name out of the hat because I have not looked at the free agent, or not the free agent, but I have not looked at the, uh, at the kind of guys who might be available via trade, and I hate offering up trades for guys that there's not even been a single rumor about. Yeah. Uh, I know everybody's not rumored before they actually get traded, but still there's got to be some kind of credibility to it. Well, However, I think it was, it was rumored about Butler and Paul George being gone, although Paul George seems like he's destined for the Lakers. But would you trade Bledsoe, Warren, whatever for for either of those guys? Or are you kind of minded to stick it I would, for a while? Yes. So if you had a chance to get a Jimmy Butler or a Paul George in the offseason, I would include Bledsoe in any package, and I would trade just about anything besides the Devin Booker. Oh, me too. I agree. I agree, but I guess the question at the beginning was more about, is now the time to make the trade, or is the time in a year or two to make that blockbuster trade once you know more of what these young guys have? Um, no, I still think it's the time to make the trade. So if you, if you draft a point guard, then it's time to trade Bledsoe now, because otherwise, 
guys. Watson's going to play Bledsoe 30 plus minutes, and we'll never see that drafted point guard. Or they'll be, or they'll play Bledsoe at shooting guard, which will make him a lot less effective. Yeah. And the whole Suns will, will be very frustrating because guess who's the shooting guard already? Devin Booker. So that Devin means Booker's, that, Devin Booker is going to be the three eventually. No, I don't think what? so. He's you think so? Grow. He's not going to grow that much. I see him being a Clay Thompson and staying at shooting guard, just being a little bit bigger one, rather than why make him an undersized small forward? What's, okay, that's the question. That's the thing. He's our, I mean, he's six seven now. He's got a year or two to grow. I mean, undersized small forward. What was that? Paul George playing small forward? Carmelo Paul George is six ten. Yeah, but Carmelo is six eight. I know Jim, Jimmy Butler's six six. I know what you're saying. There, there are guys out there who uh, aren't, you know, are six seven or under. I'm just saying. I just don't agree with it personally. I'd much rather have. Uh, um, I'd much rather have. Devin Booker is my shooting guard, and you build around him, and you get all the right players around him. I'd rather put a tougher and better defending small forward next to Booker, in between, you know, where Booker can be in between that guy and a really strong other perimeter or um, big man defender, which the Suns don't. So, yeah, yeah. That, that, I mean that works too. I was just thinking that in a small, if you can get a shooter at the two, like I don't know, I'm not just picking names that I have, but like a JJ Redick type at the two with Booker there and a distributing point guard, it's not bad. So it sounds like oh, you, definitely not bad, and that could be a really good offense. I would just really worry even more about the Suns' defense than I do right now. So then, are you a Josh Jackson guy? I uh, yeah. So I'm a I'm more of a Josh Jackson, or even. If the Suns, you know, drop down to three or four, I'd even consider like a Jonathan Isaac. Mm. I'm I have three guys on my. I was doing a little bit of stuff before. Uh, well, you probably have heard the one with my cousin Matt Orlander, um, CBS. But um, my three guys are if you if you get Fultz, you get um, you get Tatum or you get Josh Jackson, and then you're set. You're fine. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I I think I'm not a bit as big a fan of Tatum. Uh, I think he's more of kind of a rich man's uh, T.J. Warren, kind of, in that he's going to be a scorer who will be a def- someone you have to cover for defensively. That's my that's my uh, rookie take on it, because I haven't seen enough of Tatum, but I kind of feel like he's a guy you got to put defenders around, and the Suns already have that. They have that. They have Devin Booker. Yeah, so that is the question of how good, I mean, the scene, with Devin Booker you have the makings of a good offense with all these players around him. Um, and you got You're going to have to get some defenders sometime. Although it's always interesting, people are trying to like build from the draft, and the build from the draft, I think, means more of you find your one or two players who are going to be your all stars, and then you get good because you have to. You fill in a roster to be championship level with free agents once you are good enough to show that yeah. you show them that you can be good. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think that building through the draft is only as deep as your uh, as your all star caliber players one and two or three. I don't think building through the draft means you do what the Suns did this past year, which is put eight uh, recently drafted guys on the roster, basically, and expect them to win games because they're not going to because not one of them is a true all-star. What you do in the draft is you get your all-stars, and then, because you can't acquire them, they're very, very hard to acquire So you uh, by anything other than, than the draft. So building through the draft is really getting your big two, big three, even big one to start with. And then you start going out in free agency and trades and filling out the roster. Yeah, but pe- people are sometimes saying, let's have the young guys make sure on the same timeline because 
we need to have all the roster, the whole roster. We need to have our, we need to have our small forward and our small back of small forward and everything locked in. I think the roster yeah, think, here is so much more fluid than that. Yeah, I think they're exaggerating um, until you have the actual, like, for example, Oklahoma City, they don't have to, they didn't when they had Durant and Westbrook going there. They didn't have to build the team from the draft. You don't just keep building once you have your superstars. You have to build long enough to get the superstar, and that's that's the big thing. And so with the Suns right now, they don't have one, so you want to keep adding more. Well, the only reason you're really adding more is to find the guy who makes it so you never have to add more that way. Exactly. And then you want veterans who will defend around it. So one other question I've heard about is that is Devin Booker, the, is, is, is his ceiling the best player on a championship team, or is he the second best player on a championship team? Ah, uh, that's a good question. It depends on how much more he grows and also how much smarter he can. So do you want to talk about Booker right now? Yeah, let's talk about Booker. What, what, do you, what do you see from him this year? What surprised you? And then let's talk about his ceiling in terms of is he the guy, sure. the guy or is he like the second guy? Um, Depends on, I think, your definition of the guy. And let me explain. Mm-hmm. If you're looking for a guy who will be your top scorer throughout the playoffs – be potentially unstoppable no matter who the defender is or what kind of defensive scheme there is, uh, potentially unstoppable from scoring because he has all the size, moves, hesitation, shiftiness, and release points and all that, um, and who hits game winners. He's already showing. He's got ice in his veins to hit the right shots at the right time. Uh, so if you're looking for that guy and you call him your number one, then absolutely. Um, but no one's going to win, I don't think, a championship with a two-guard all by himself as the only great guy on the team. Uh, you just don't do it that way. So the Suns have to find a 1A or a 1 where Booker's the 1A who plays um, different enough that they complement each other to become championship caliber, just like Westbrook and Durant. Or Chris uh, Paul and Blake Griffin. Or Chris Paul and Blake Griffin. One of them has to be great, but the other one has to be great too. So you got to find that second great guy. And Booker can definitely be one of the top two of a really deep championship-level team for sure. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Good clarification there. Um, who else have we not talked about? Uh, well, we have not talked about uh, Brandon Knight, but, yeah, we did. We asked if he needed a to trade. <laughs> Ronnie Price uh, is a free agent. He does uh, not want to coach. coach. Is he a coach? <laughs> he doesn't want to yet. Uh, he oh, wants God. to play. But if he doesn't get a contract, I would not be surprised to have him fill in as a player development coach and then see if somebody will pick him up later in the season. Uh, so I, I think I would – Ronnie Price is either going to get a contract to play somewhere else like he did last summer. Oklahoma City gave two years. So he's still being paid for next year. Uh, but somebody else, if somebody else wants him in their training camp, he'll play for them. But if nobody wants him, I, I would be happy to have him as a player development coach for the Suns. Definitely. What do you see going forward? What do you what are your expectations and what do you want to see from specific players, from the team in general, from Watson next year? Sure. Uh well let's start with Devin Booker. This year I feel like every shot was a green light shot where mm-hmm. uh Jared Dudley talked about at the end of the season saying, you know, the second half of the season everybody had the green light, which is great because it gives you, you know, a better chance because if you feel confident you have a green light, you're gonna shoot a smoother shot. Mm-hmm. You're going to feel better about your shot making. And that always worked for Mike D'Antoni. It always worked for Al- Alvin Gentry. Um, and Dudley made it sound like it was working at least a little bit for Earl Watson because the Suns did have an effective offense most of the time they were out there. 
Um, it's the defense that was suffering the most, actually. But um, Devin Booker, so he had a green light on every single shot he took, and he was able to experiment. We never saw before this season him have the tough post-up game that he's got. Mm-hmm. We never saw the, him him have those hesitation moves around the basket, going weaving in around a couple of defenders and getting um, a floater up or a jump, you know, spot up up um, or a pull up up or whatever. Where he totally went away from is, is the three pointers, and that's his best shot. Um, he was missing wide open ones this year, so that might have played a part in him, like not always just taking it, uh, taking picking up the pass and, sorry, uh, accepting the pass and shooting like uh, Clay Thompson does. Mm-hmm. Maybe Booker missed too many of those open ones and decided he would rather just drive it to the hoop and give himself a better chance. I don't know, but the Devin Booker who shoots five threes a game is not as good as the Devin Booker who shoots nine a game. Nine a game is what's the top five or ten guys in the league shooting, or, or maybe even more deeper than five or ten that shoot nine plus, especially this year. Um, and maybe two or three of them were already on the Rockets. Yep. So <laughs> um, that's the future, and Devin Booker needs to develop. So that's what I want to see from Booker next year is stretching out and making his game more efficient. So he took a ton of mid-range just to try him out this year, and now he's a threat. But I want to see him take more at the basket and more behind the arc next year. Play a little uh, warrior ball. Yes, exactly, but not not entirely. Yeah, but more because uh, he didn't take enough three pointers. He did take enough shots at the at, at, in in the restricted area, but he did not take enough threes. That's really just where he's got to shift. It's not a huge shift, but it's it's got to get there, and he's got to make more than forty percent of them. Yep. Otherwise, even he'll he'll run himself off the line like he did this year. Um, let's see for another one. I got to see someone between Marquise Chris and Dragon Bender show that they can be a full-time, uh, great player in the future. Otherwise I got to see them included in trade packages to get somebody like that. Mm-hmm. They're both extremely talented. The question is who can develop them? Yep. Um, one thing about Ulis to, I forgot to ask late earlier is, I don't think he's a starter, starting point guard, but he may be the best backup point guard in the league for the next decade. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's a good that's a good way to put it. He's not going to be the guy who really, you really want to see out there 40 minutes a game. But at 20, 25 minutes with spot starts up to 40, I think he could be one of the best in the league for sure. And he, that could even be as early as this year, not next year. So. Um, he was really effective when he came off the bench before he was suddenly thrown into the 40-minute-a-night starting lineup. Yeah, the best thing about him, the best thing I want for my point guards is to not turn the ball over, and he doesn't do it. Right, exactly. He doesn't turn the ball over, and yet he's he averaged almost a double-double in the second half this year. Mm-hmm. As Sorry, in his, I think he started 15 games or so, and he averaged almost a double-double in those. Yeah, wasn't it nice, uh, just to kind of as, not as, as a fan, as, uh, as people who watch the Suns a lot, wasn't it nice to actually have an offense that ran instead of Archie Goodwin and other people? We love Archie Goodwin, but <laughs> other people, we, it was, it wasn't nice to have a plethora of point guards to actually run the offense this year? Oh, yeah, it was really fun to watch someone actually passing the ball and, and putting it, you know, having those pocket passes. I thought Eric Bledsoe made some huge, huge strides in the passing department this year. Mm-hmm. He's not an ideal passer. He's not your Steve Nash type. And he's not even a Tyler Eulis type. I loved watching Eulis with his pocket passes and his lobs in to, to, to get easy, create easy shots at the rim. And um, uh, I thought that was really good to see. And I think Devin Booker 
is a better passer than even he thinks he is yep. and needs to do a lot more passing next year um, to be even more of a threat from the perimeter if he can dump off his you know his drives where he draws three defenders and just dump it off to the big or somebody who's wide open as a result. I think that'll make him a much, much better player as well. So, yeah, you've got some passers on this team for sure. Yep. Um, do you see an, any ideal free agent pickup next year, or is it just young guys again? Yeah, it depends on what happens, right? So it depends on ha- what happens in the draft and also what happens with the restricted free agencies of Alan Williams mm-hmm. and, and Alex Lynn. Yeah. If both those guys get blown away and they leave the Suns, which in Lynn's case I hope it happens, and in Alan Williams' case I hope everyone squeezes in and so he just resigns with the Suns. But say both of those are gone, you've got to sign a center. And and there's not a great center in the draft or anybody really worth playing a lot of minutes where the Suns are in the draft positioning this year. Um, there's one or two guys in the middle of the first round, but not at the very top and not at the very top of the second round. So I think uh, um, not the good play. So I'd rather see the Suns just sign a journeyman center. Or, you know, my little uh, outside-the-box thought, Although I don't know if he re- no I don't I don't think he resigned but uh, Mason Plumley I think he's available as a free agent this year right restricted that that's possible I mean he's just bounced around a bunch now yeah he went to Denver this Do you really um, want the Plumleys again <laughs> but I think what's nice about Mason though is he is a jack of all trades that doesn't demand the ball yeah and he's kept his career going unlike Miles yeah it's hel- it's it's hel- it'd be helpful to have that that person around but uh, it doesn't doesn't um, excite me to have someone like that around the, on the on the court, but uh, it definitely would be. Well, no, it's definitely not exciting. Yes. Um, any other thoughts before we go here? Um, overall thoughts. I think the uh, Suns will improve next year. I don't think they'll improve on the scoreboard as much as people will want in their eighth year out of the playoffs. But I do think uh, this is this is going to be the year in which. You see, this coming up year is going to be the year in which you see the sun starting to rise as opposed to uh, muddling along and just switching up the roster. They they successfully went really young this past year, and now they just need to start now building back up uh, toward the top. It will be a slow climb, though, as you can see, because the guys are still only 20, 21 years old next year. Mm-hmm. And you saw the Wolves with three 21-year-olds in their starting lineup, as talented as those three 21-year-olds are, um, you know, Andrew Wiggins and, and uh, Zach Levine and, and KAT, Carl Anthony Towns, you can't win basketball games with those three because they don't make enough winning plays. So the Suns will be fighting. Yeah, but the, and the Suns are, Suns are going to be fighting those same demons, those same problems, those same let-ups next year. Let's just hope that they can develop two or three or four guys in the 19, 20, 21-year-old range who you think someday is going to be a playoff team, like everyone thinks Minnesota is. Exactly. Um, to touch on one more thing about Booker, I like I liked his floor game, then his dribble and stuff this time. His passing was a little better. Um, he People were worried about his shot. It comes back. He's not going to lose that as people are like feeling, no one's like fearing him losing that, but maybe not being elite, but he'll be elite once. Like, okay, if Bledsoe plays the whole year, if if he doesn't have to bring up the ball all the time, he will be a good spot-up shooter. Like, it's going to be 40% for most of his career, something like that. Um, do you think the Suns don't tank next year? 
Who? Uh, depends on what you call tanking. Like if you think Minnesota tanked no. a year ago, not a this year, year. a year ago, hmm. then probably uh, you would think that the Suns are tanking next year. The Suns are like two years behind, yeah. I, I think, the, the Colts. The question is, do they play so many young guys late in the season on purpose and not the veterans to lose some games? No. Okay, so that's, that's kind of what I was – what I really mean, I guess, is that I think the Suns will be playing um, a smaller number of young guys, bigger minutes all next year than they did this year. And, and it won't be such a, a sea change at the trade deadline, but they may not have many more wins. It won't be obvious, but they may have some more wins, but only because they're not trying to lose. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, the players never tried to lose. It was course, the GM who tried to lose. And I think the GM will have less less of a need to tell the coach to sit so many veterans and uh, suddenly start playing so many young guys next year. I don't think that'll be as much the case. I mean, I think the Suns will actually um, pass some people um, in the standings next year. I mean, I, they almost got to where I thought that – I mean, I think before the season I said 34 wins. If they don't tank and they don't shut Bledsoe down, they get to 34 wins this year. I mean, I think – and the next well, they were um, actually, you know what, I did the math, and they were actually only on pace for 26, but total wins uh, by the end of the year, so they weren't really supposed to win that many more games in the second half, just based on if you took the winning percentage and if, before the All-Star break and applied it to the rest of the season. But the Suns' schedule got a lot better after the All-Star break and easier to win. So I, I do agree with you at that. I think they would have been around 30. And I know Jared Dudley and his uh, – end-of-the-year interview mentioned something along the lines of they would have been a 30-win team. That didn't get you anywhere, though. Dudley also said that you don't want to be a 30-40-win to 40 win team. You want to be a 20-win team or a 50-plus-win team. You want to be the best or you want to be the worst. And I don't, I don't know much about the next year's draft class, but I don't think there's any reason to continue always being – getting those young players. I mean, if you if you find – if you get Fultz and he's something that goes with – with Booker, or if it's Josh Jackson, or if it's Tatum, or if it's if it's Ball, are you a Ball guy? Ah, uh, I'm not. I'm not a Ball guy. I don't think I am either. But I, I mean, think my yeah. problem with with Lonzo Ball, his game anyway, is I really, really don't think he's going to be able to get that release off against NBA level competition inside of 30 feet, unless it's on a swing where he's catching and shooting. And yeah. no one knew him defensively. Kawhi would but eat that alive. You, what's that? Kawhi would eat that alive. Oh, a lot of defenders would because you don't even have to be as close to him as you are the rest of the shooters out there. Like Devin Booker, Clay Thompson, guys like that. You have to be like really hugged up close to them to stop them from doing the catch and shoot. With uh, Lonzo Ball, you only have to be within – it's almost as bad as – now actually it's probably worse than Eric Bledsoe. You notice nobody hugs up on Eric Bledsoe in the three-point line. The reason is they have plenty of time to run out there and contest it because he's got really, really slow wind-up and shot. And Lonzo Ball is, is even worse. And so defenders will sag off, which means they'll be two or three feet closer to the rim, which means that the lane is more clogged for driving lanes and cuts and all that. So it just makes it harder to execute offense if you don't have threats on the perimeter. That's one of the Suns' biggest problems this year is P.J. Tucker wasn't really a threat, and you know he really wasn't out there on the perimeter. And T.J. Warren is not really a threat out in the perimeter. You want to you want to guard for the drive, 
well, guarding for the drive on TJ Warren is, is guarding four feet off. So I think, uh, uh, ball, anyway, back to ball. I think he's going to have a hard time scoring in the NBA. And I don't think he's a plus enough defender to even make up for that. Uh, um, whereas the passing, of course, is going to be sublime. It's going to be great. But it, I think, I think he's going to have a, a much tougher time than people think in the NBA. Yeah, for sure. So are you of the mind that if Fultz is number one, if the Suns get number one, Fultz is the automatic answer? I think so. Um, I'm not saying that I think uh, Fultz will end up better than Bledsoe is today, for example, but he does have the profile of somebody who could be a Damian Lillard type, um, you know, leader. And I, I don't want to use Steph Curry because Steph way outplayed of his, his own projections, but Curry was also supposed to be a 25 and six and, or seven guy as your starting point guard. And he's just, you know, he's obviously better than that, yeah. but, um, but that's the profile. Well, the profile thing, I, I, to, to, to talk about what you just said about Bledsoe versus these guys, I got to, um, I, you might have seen it on Twitter. I got to, when everybody was here for the final four, I got to go out with about 10 of those college writers and pick their brains for four hours and I think yeah. they basically said that all these guys are pop are going to be better than Bledsoe and Warren. So there's going to well, be all these guys at the top will be better than those two. Yes. So yeah. okay, well, good. So it's interesting. So it's interesting. There's, we'll see if they trade Bledsoe. We'll see what happens with that for sure. Yeah, I mean, if you could, if you could draft. In fact, here's my actual point guards in order uh, would be more like a, and it uh, this is draft pick. Centric, you know, if you've got the number two pick, you don't necessarily um, not take ball. It's tough. Uh, or you take Jess Jackson instead, but not another point. But I would rather, if I had my druthers on, on drafting, and um, it wasn't going to be, a, you know, it wasn't going to be a, a question of whether I should take a small forward instead, I would go uh, Markel Fools first, and then I would go De'Aaron Fox. Yes, me too. And then I might even take the French guy. Before I take ball. What about a Dennis Smith? Yeah, maybe. I just didn't see enough of Dennis Smith yet. Yeah. So maybe Dennis Smith, but I didn't I hear, I think I heard that he even profiles more like uh, Eric Bledsoe than anybody else. I, that sounds like it could be true. I haven't heard that necessarily. Yeah, I got to look at it. I got to look at it closer. Um, but he, yeah. I, I thought, anyway. Well, we'll get into the uh, draft people when we get a lot closer, when we have the draft lottery. Well, thank yeah. you so much, Dave. Why don't you plug what you guys got going on over there at Brightside? Yep, we're brightsideofthesun.com. We have uh, new content every single day, and it's all fresh, and it's good analysis. It is not just news, although we also do post the news. And there's several podcasts rotating through the website as well. So you can hear live voices, not live, sorry. You can hear recorded voices, <laughs> and you can read content for the people who don't like to um, you know, have to sit there and listen with their headphones. Uh, you can just read a lot of the content that we have, and, and there's some really unique takes, really informed uh, uh opinions on there so go to brightsideofthesun.com or you can follow me on twitter at dave king nba wonderful dave thanks so much i really appreciate everybody following the podcast if you can subscribe leave a review i would really appreciate that if you tell any friends that you that like about nba basketball let them know thanks so much to dave and have a great night everybody bye all right thanks bye